host, Annie Randall, and this is a safe space for real talk regarding all things Jesus, mental health, and of course, your relationship with food. Welcome back to the second season of Triad Warriors, the podcast where we are talking all about the many factors that can cause and or influence disordered eating. With us today, we have another special guest, Priscilla Gumbach, a community health worker. Priscilla is going to be talking all about the influence of community and environmental factors within our relationships with food. You may recognize Priscilla from last season, but if not, allow me to reintroduce her. Priscilla is one of my very best friends, and as I said, she is also a community health worker here in Portland, Oregon. Priscilla has a big heart for social justice, and I have honestly learned so much from Priscilla over the years. In our friend circle, Priscilla is known as the connector. She has the ability to connect anyone and everyone to the resources that they need. In fact, I'm pretty positive that she could connect you to just about anyone in Portland through three degrees or less. But beyond Priscilla's desire to help, her joyful presence is one of my most favorite parts about Priscilla. And I'm beyond excited to have her on the show with us today. She has so many important and helpful insights to share. But before we get into today's topic, I want to give you an opportunity to share a little more about yourself, Priscilla, maybe share a little about your educational background, how you got into community health work, and how this topic relates to your personal story. In addition, maybe you can explain exactly what community health workers do for those who don't know. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm excited to be back for round two on the podcast. Uh, Like Annie mentioned, I'm a community health worker. So to me, a community health worker really are the eyes eyes and ears for the communities that we serve. Um, So that looks many different ways. It can look like connecting communities to resources and housing or food resources or uh, navigating the health system and healthcare system for folks. Um, There are community health workers in schools and clinical settings in doctor's offices. So community health workers are uh, all all over, um, especially here in Oregon. Um, They're all throughout the state. And I got into this work uh, really through COVID. Uh, In a past life cycle, I used to teach preschool. And then COVID happened. And then just like many of us had to you know, go back to the drawing board and navigate, like go through a journey and decided that wanted to enter into the public health space just with my own experience of being a woman of color in the, in healthcare and having chronic health issues and just some of the traumas and experiences that have happened, um, wanted to really just advocate and be a voice for my community on a, on a big, on a bigger picture scale. So I'm really passionate about policy and advocacy, um, on for statewide and a lot of policy and advocacy for community health workers, um, across the state. 
Awesome. Yeah. Well, I remember when you first started getting into community health and your passion really does shine through. It's like the perfect job for you. I mean, you were a great preschool teacher. I know everybody loved Poppy and all of that. That's the name she went by as a teacher for those who don't know. Um, but you, when you started doing like community health work, I was like, this is where Priscilla is meant to be or doing something related to kind of this this community social justice type work because you do you have such a big passion about it or, or around this topic and I just really think that uh, your kind of personal and professional experiences are going to be both uh, are both going to be valuable sources of information for all of the listeners today and so I'm just so thankful for you to be on the show again um, and I just think we're going to have a great conversation. Awesome. Well, on that note, let's get started. So as I already mentioned, we are talking about the influence of environmental factors on our relationship with food today. And so when I talk about environmental factors, I want to be clear, I'm not talking about things like geography, climate change, and the natural world, though we certainly could be talking about these things, because that is directly related to food. Uh, nevertheless, that is a totally different conversation for another day. Uh, instead, what we are going to be discussing today are the social, institutional, and structural surroundings and conditions in which a person lives, and how things Things like food insecurity, poverty, discrimination, and other social stressors can impact one's health and one's relationship with food. So basically, we are going to be talking about things like the social determinants of health. With that said, can you first explain to the listeners what the social determinants of health are, Priscilla? For many, this is new language because all too often we look at health through that limited lens of diet and exercise. Yeah. So social determinants of health, that is, that could be a whole episode in itself. So mm -hmm. social determinants of health is a, is a big, is a big umbrella. Um, so, so thinking of things like housing that impacts, you know, where you live, if you're near like a grocery store, all the social outside factors, um, mm -hmm that we don't have control over. Like I don't have control over where a grocery store is like if it's a grocery store in my neighborhood. And so the things on the bigger, bigger picture that, you know, really impact your health. So whether that's in all like just access in the, in the barriers to accessing like a grocery store mm -hmm. um, for some folks, you know, it's like, transportation while well, the closest grocery store is you know an hour on the train so like some of those things impact um yeah, we'll keep it there for now I could just get I could just get really into it but <laughs> yeah for sure the social determinants of health there's like so many of them but the one you're talking about there with food insecurity like that's such a big piece that a lot of people who have always had the privilege of living close to a grocery store, don't even think about what it would be like to not have access to, you know, fresh foods. Whereas that's a reality for so many people in the United States and across the world in general. And so like that is a very relevant one of the social determinants 
determinants of health for us to be talking about today, because that directly, like you said, impacts food access. It's like, if you're driving, going an hour on a train, like no one's doing that to get fresh food. Like that's not realistic. No, it's, and then, you know, that's, that's time and money. And, you know, if you have kids and it's, you know, figuring out bringing the kid, there's just a lot more extra steps involved when there's, you know, not something that's within your neighborhood or, you know, like the convenience of, you know, something like a Trader Joe's that's like down the street. And Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the things I've seen a lot is, I don't know, thinking about outside yourself and thinking about like, yeah, like there's, for me, like, I don't, I don't have a car and I've lived in Portland for many years and I've never had a car and I've managed to get groceries and, you know, with COVID, yes, there's grocery deliveries and like Instacart, but again, that's not always, uh, an option for, for folks. Like I remember spending like, you know, 45 minutes to take a bus to the grocery store, plus the time in the grocery store, plus 45 minutes back. So it's like a whole Saturday afternoon or really a whole Saturday was, you know, going, going grocery shopping. And, you know, when I wanted to be out with friends or, you know, doing something else, but yeah, there's the big, there's a big time factor with, you know, access, like going to a grocery store. If you don't, if you don't have a car. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, you just described like an entire Saturday that you have to set aside to getting food. It's so much easier than to just not go to the grocery store and to just find other options. And I find in like these food deserts, typically there is access to like convenience stores, which isn't going to have fresh food, but it's at least going to have food. Yeah. Like with, you know, the convenience store, that's like the little bodega that's like down the street from me. So for the listeners of Bodega, so I'm from New York and I don't know, Bodegas, they're just essentially like a convenience market, but I always grew up saying Bodega. Uh, so at the Bodega, there are like, you know, your, your canned like corn and green beans and, mm-hmm. you know, like those things, which is like, you do what you got to do. Like I, for me, like I do a lot of the canned and frozen um one because it lasts the last longer and I feel like I can't go through like a bag of spinach fast enough oh I feel that (laughs) (laughs) I buy frozen uh again like just money with like inflation it's so much cheaper just to get things canned uh and frozen instead of you know buying like actual you know, spinach or Mm -hmm. like that, that's fresh. Yeah, for sure. And we're going to get into that a little bit later uh, with the canned and frozen foods, but it's like, it's so demonized in our culture to eat those foods. It's like, oh, you have to be eating the only the fresh varieties, but it's like, you know, you do what you got to do. And if you're eating vegetables, you're eating vegetables. I don't care if they're canned or if they're frozen or if they're fresh, like they are vegetables. And so it's important for people to have access to that, to any type of food at, at its base level. And then if we're trying to, you know, support health, then it's like, okay, how can we bring, uh, kind of nutrient dense options into these areas for sure. 
Awesome. So going into the next question, or did you have anything else to add with the social determinants of health? I just like encourage people for the listeners who are like, you know, I feel like, yeah, social determinants of health is, I don't know, a buzzword or it's just coming up a lot. I feel like I've, see, I've seen it on the TikToks. Uh, just do a Google search and just like, you know, even if it's just typing it into Google and just having like an understanding of a definition um, and also like forming your own definition. Because I think that really, that really matters when you, and I think it's gonna like, once you understand that and like when you're going through the world and your interaction with other human, like I think it'll just give, make you more compassionate or just seeing people as like humans like this is just where some people are and like that's okay and just getting out of that like judge that judgment that happens I feel like in this like air quotes healthy you know I don't know umbrella (laughs) Yeah. yeah a very kind of privileged definition of health is what's going around right now and yeah like you said doing that google search and realizing that Social determinants, of, social determinants of health go even beyond like food insecurity, like we're talking about right now. Um, and we'll touch on in the next question, but like other things like discrimination and forms of oppression and all of those things that like, you know, those are stressors and those are impacting our health in significant ways. And so I think it's really important, like you said, for people to grasp their own definition of that, but also like, okay, what really is impacting our health? Cause I think I was looking up the statistic right before this, but it's like 30 to 35% of our health is based off of the social determinants of health. Um, whereas only like 10% of our health is based off of like behaviors, like quote, healthy eating and exercise. So we're focusing far too much on the wrong side of the coin here. Um, But yes, very important for people to look that up. Uh, So in your experience as a community health worker, how have you seen things like food insecurity or economic instability in neighborhood contexts impacting the ways in which individuals and communities interact with food? Yeah, so... Uh, when I first started as a community health worker, I was doing direct service, which just means mm-hmm. you're interacting with, you're just very client facing. So I was doing a lot of uh, Oregon health plan navigation. So signing folks up for Oregon health plan, you know, helping them schedule appointments, advocating for them, you know, when surgeries were like, if a surgery got denied for some whatever it's just like finding out why that surgery got denied and helping them go through the appeal process so all things um with that and in that work a lot of my clients who had Oregon Health Plan were also getting SNAP um and that stands for Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program here in Oregon and so I don't know what this what the numbers say, but there is like, if you have Oregon health plan, you most likely do qualify for SNAP from source of some sort of food assistance. Uh, and so, yeah, it was starting to like navigate that as well. And then, right. It's like the whole, you live in a neighborhood and then there's, you know, 
here in Portland, we have New Seasons, which is like the boutique grocery store. And, you know, New Season isn't accessible if you're on. Yes, they take they do take SNAP. And like, I think like legally, like all grocery stores in Oregon have to take SNAP or WIC um, or like the food assistance programs, um, which is great. But yeah, if you are going to a place like New Seasons, you know, and you only get like a limited amount of, you know, money for you only get you get like a certain amount every month, you do have to like be um, more conscious, I guess, of like what you're of what you're getting. Um, You're definitely definitely getting like, you know, the staples like your or like the essential items. And I think that also like obviously like impacts like your self-esteem and like your self-confidence like oh I get I get this x amount of I get this x amount of money and I you know but I really want to like go out to Cheesecake Factory and like that's not like some of those things and like that's such like you know I had clients like tell me that like I you know I get this fixed income but you know I just really want my son's turning 10 and I really like want to you know, take them to Cheesecake Factory for their 10th birthday to celebrate. And like, and they couldn't, and they they couldn't make that happen because they get, whether that's through SNAP or they get some other like money, government money assistance is, you know, you're just really living on a budget and that's just can be really, really hard. And then you feel like, you know, I had clients that, you know, felt like they were like, you know, missing out or they just, you know, had a, I really want this one thing, but they had to get, you know, the other, the other item off, off the shelf. Um, and I just remember like, also I had clients, a lot of people were doing like free food boxes, um, like a lot of nonprofits, you know, those were, that was really great that there was a lot of these like, fr- uh, free fresh produce boxes. Um, so again, like that was, trying to remove a barrier for folks to get their fresh produce. So you get like essentially like one of those like cardboard boxes. Um, And yeah, so it was cool to see, I guess, in COVID, like communities and churches and other nonprofits, like stepping up with like putting together food boxes for clients, um, things like that was really neat to see. And then I know they still happen. I know they're still happening now but I feel like I haven't seen them as much or maybe now in my new job I'm just not I'm not doing direct service anymore so I feel like I'm not as connected of like oh like you know I just remember places where like oh every Wednesday four to six come get your food box and there are still churches and nonprofits and communities doing that now I just think it's not as maybe frequent as when you like in 2020 when the world um shut down but yeah I think and I think that's also when there is a new seasons or a boutique grocery store that comes in. I mean, let's just call it what it is. Uh, communities of color like are the ones that are getting pushed out. And so like it is harder. So then that factors like where you live, <laughs> obviously like housing, is you know, matters for your health. Um, and so, yeah, then or where you live like new seasons and whole foods, you know, is the only grocery store that's, that's near you. Then you have to like, then take a bus to like, 
go find, I don't know, like Fred Meyer or Safeway or one of the more like attainable grocery stores. Um, that's not like the boutique like new seasons. And I think that's like why I said I have such a hard time with those kind of grocery with those like neighborhood market grocery stores because I just they come into a neighborhood and then like people that look like me like well cool like we can't not cool but we just can't afford to to live there anymore and obviously that like there's a lot of uh there's a lot of history in that of you know with all that but um I think that's that's just like really hard to see and it feels like they can't make uh attainable housing or affordable housing complexes like fast enough um in some of those in some of those neighborhoods and then that's a whole it's a whole other conversation but yeah like food and housing's really tied really tied together which yeah. makes sense <laughs> oh yeah totally makes sense and the situation you're explaining there of basically like gentrification of an area and pushing people out because yeah it's like if you can't afford to go to this super bougie grocery store like that's what new seasons and whole foods are things are so expensive there and it's like then you're either one gonna have to go move somewhere closer to a grocery store that you can afford or two gonna have to get on that bus for 45 minutes and spend a whole Saturday shopping. And it just sucks that like thing with inflation, especially right now, things are getting so expensive. And like you were talking about with the food boxes at the beginning of 2020, everybody was so like, oh, let's help each other out. We're all in this together. And that was very (laughs) short-lived because yeah, it was like so accessible and so like known about those food boxes. And like you said, I'm sure that's still going on, but it's not as accessible now. Um, And it's just like, it's sad because people are still struggling with that probably pretty much more so now than at the beginning of 2020 because it's been three years in this mess. So that's, yeah, really hard. Yeah, and I I think too, I think for me, like when I do go to New Seasons and I will shop at New Seasons, like I'm not trying to, you know, I don't know, talk crap about New Seasons. (laughs) And I'll go, you know, I'll, I'll, I don't know when I'm feeling you know, fancy, I guess. Uh, I'll go to new seasons. And then I, for me, like as a woman of color, you know, like I walk in and it's many times not a lot of people that look like me in there. So then it, you know, uh, makes me feel like, oh, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not welcomed or, you know, some sort of um, like, it was like, oh, this space is not for me. It feels like, because it is, this like, I don't know, the bougie. I just feel like I don't fit in there when I when I go. Um, even though when I do go, I'm buying, you know, my <laughs> diet coke and some popsicles and my frozen spinach. Uh that's okay. But <laughs> yeah, it just feels like uh I don't know, maybe I'm just just feels like it's it's that's like a culture. Like there's like this bougie grocery market culture that I just feel like I just don't feel a part of or um and I think there's a part of me that doesn't want to be part of that culture because I look at that that 
I don't know, the bougie grocery markets and things like that. And just think about like, yeah, like my community and the communities that I serve and like a community health worker lens of like, uh, I don't, I just have so many big feelings of, about, you know, things like uh, new seasons and those kinds of things. And that's yeah. like, you know, all the, all the rage in Portland is you, you go to new seasons it is all the rage and that makes sense. Like you understand and have experienced all the social and political factors that go behind something like that in the process of a new seasons coming into a neighborhood. Again, not to hate on new seasons since, you know, I, I love their, uh, they have this vegan cookie dough. So good since I can't have dairy. So it's like amazing, but I, I can't afford to shop there either. But like with understanding the social and like political factors behind it, there is like a lot of pain associated with that. And it makes sense why you wouldn't even want to be a part of that culture, but even then walking in and being like, this space isn't created for me. And I'm sure uh, like other people are feeling that way too. And so it's like, that makes sense why that the presence of a bougie grocery store in a neighborhood would push people who don't feel like they belong out of that neighborhood, which is really sad. Yeah, it is. It is sad. And again, it's just like this bigger conversation of, well, you know, we've had so many things taken away from us. And so Mm. it's, you know, this constant grieving or this constant feeling of loss of like, well, what, what is left for, what is left for me? If, uh, you know, thinking about like, I mean, we don't have to go into a whole history lesson, but just thinking about like (laughs) Oregon's, Oregon's history, which, uh, I encourage everybody in this podcast to do a a deep dive into Oregon's Mm -hmm. history. There's some things they left out of your third grade textbook. Um, a lot of racism and a lot of it being like a white only state. And so, I mean, yeah, like obviously that all impacts Oregon and, you know, Portland today, just the, you know, history of Oregon, why Oregon was even like became a state in the first place. And there's a lot of laws and there was, you know, a lot of, you know, uh, can't can't buying a house in in Portland and so you know there was all these really you know racist laws that like you know they are passing new ones and trying to do the work but obviously it won't happen overnight um yeah that sucks to be constantly grieving that and and it's like you know our state carries that history with us like you said they're they're trying, some people are trying to do things about it, but it's not going to happen overnight. And we're carrying that history of all of that pain. And it's like, yeah, that really sucks to have to constantly be grieving things being taken away and feeling like what's left for me. Yeah. And with, I mean, news, shout out to new seasons. They do like partner with nonprofits. And I do know Mm -hmm. that like you can donate your bag you know, if you bring your own bag, you can donate the five cents to other profits. So like, I know like new seasons is they, they are doing the work from, mm-hmm. um, but like I said, yeah, it won't happen overnight, but it's the fact that they like are on the journey is like what matters. Yeah, for sure. Definitely that matters. And yeah. And then it's just the kind of, it's like, okay, doing those smaller works and then also understanding what like from them 
them understanding what their presence in a space does, I think is really important as well. And so hopefully they're tapping into that as well and recognizing where are we building our stores and what are we doing to this space uh, for sure. Anything else that you had to uh, add to that question? No, I don't think so. Okay, awesome. So uh, in American culture, most experience a pressure to eat, quote, healthy, resulting in a lot of shame and stigma surrounding health and unhealth. This is known as healthism. And you and I have talked about the problematic language around even the idea of, quote, healthy eating. So with that in mind, how does this pressure to eat, quote, healthy impact lower income communities as well as black and brown communities? Yeah, I think that word healthy, right, is, again, a, a buzzword. Uh, a, you know, you see it on the TikTok, uh, Instagram videos and things like that of, oh, what showed up this week was what I ate in a day, but like healthy edition. Anyways, we like blocked it, but um, I like, and it was, I was watching that and I was just like, oh, I don't eat any of this. Like, you know, the, I mean, it, it was just like, I just haven't found a, what I, one of those, what I eat in a day videos. That's like relatable <laughs> to me um of like you know waking up and having some coffee and I don't know maybe some cinnamon toast crunch uh I haven't found one of one of those yet uh yeah I think there is yeah there is like this pressure to to eat healthy and you know we get it you know from whether that like the doctor's office I just think that like all the data around uh chronic health issues and chronic health uh diseases and this the data around like for black and brown communities and like chronic health and like you know we're told to like eat healthy or eat healthier and it's just like I'm already like and what is that and again tying back to social difference of health is like the stress and so we know that like stress causes a bajillion things and basically everything <laughs> everything and you know we're stressed because uh of housing you know income job you know if you have kids finding affordable child care and so like we are again just like more stress and like being told to eat healthy just to kind of just feels like one of those like read the room situations um also, I find too, like the cultural pieces missing, like cultural foods. And so like, for me, like my mom's Dominican, Dominican Republic. So we eat a lot of rice and beans and chicken. And there's like, is some like of, you know, fried foods or whatever, but you, it's just that I feel like the cultural foods part is missing when we talk about like healthy eating. Um, because when I hear healthy, healthy eating, I'm thinking of those like kale spinach salads or a kale green smoothie, which is like, if that's your jam, like you do you, but like, I'm not going to have a kale spinach green goddess smoothie. Like that's just not for me. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, beans are like, I think it just really, whatever it means to you. And I know you and I've talked about like words around like nourishing or life giving, and then like kind of you the person gets to, to decide of like, well, what is like, what is life giving? Like, 
Is it, you know, rice and beans that like my mom used to make when I was a kid as like a comfort food when I'm like feeling sad? Or is it, you know, maybe going and I don't know, getting some tacos? Like it doesn't, I think that there is, you know, this, this pressure that we feel, but again, like money and all the other stressors, it's just kind of those not it's just harder for us. I feel again, there's just like more barriers for us to eat healthy, especially if like, you know, you don't have access to like the fresh, the fresh produce. Or again, if you are a single mom or a single grown up with kids, like, and you're on, you know, some sort of like supplemental assistance program, you're, you got to do what you got to do. And like, as long as like you're feeding you and your kids like that's just the baseline so it's you know it could be yeah like you know the frozen frozen vegetables or you know like spaghetti like that is such a common one I've seen because it's so cheap to buy noodles and some red sauce but then you know there's all the nonsense around carbs and can't eat carbs and we all know that's you know, that's garbage. Um, we all know that's garbage. Yeah. Well, you and I know, not everyone knows, but <laughs> yeah, it's just, you know, you don't, there's so much obviously of, uh, in people's lives that we, we don't, we don't know the full picture. We don't know the full picture when they're at, you know, Fred Meyer and you, and their car is all like, those frozen meals like it could be a grown-up that's working two two jobs and so like you put a the kids can put a meal in the microwave for like two minutes which is like growing up like yeah we my mom used to buy a lot of those like I don't know the like the frozen kids things um that we used to like just out of convenience like just out of like convenience of like okay well it takes two minutes to put it in the microwave and it's also something that like you know we could make you just got to cut the hole and in the middle and you just pop it in and then you have food and so I think there's a lot of those things that people don't maybe like have understand or like have compassion for of how you're not getting the full picture when you see you know a person in the grocery store yeah and the whole like where I grew up like coming from New York um yeah so I'm somebody in public from there my dad is white and from New York and then you know they got married and then I had I came along and my you know brothers and things and in in New York I always felt like when I would go to like I don't know a barbecue or something like that it's you know like oh like you need to like eat more or I've heard that was a phrase I heard uh, a lot actually is oh you need to like get another biscuit or get some more mashed potatoes or get some more mac and cheese and like you know you eat because like the somebody you know made that food and they made this food for you to enjoy to have at this party which is great but if I'm like not hungry or if I don't if I'm full then there's like, oh, you know, just have a, like, have another piece. And it's like, oh, well, you know, I'm like full or not hungry right now. And then I don't know. I feel like I've gotten like the, I never know what to say even now as 
28 years old and I'm told to like eat more. I just, I just do it. I don't know how to like say no or like hold, hold that boundary because again, it's your elders in the community and I don't know, boundaries, it's a whole other conversation, but, um, can be signed, you know, like, well, I, I made this for you. I made the mac and cheese just for you. And then you hear that and you're like, oh shit, like I, this was made for me. So then you feel like you have to like eat it. Um, and so I feel like in, I don't know, I feel like New York city, maybe it was just like my friends and the people I were with, but I mean, I felt like, yeah, like we would just go, I didn't like, didn't really know anybody that was air quotes like you know doing like how the eat was just like you eat what you want to eat and like we would go to the diner and you get milkshakes and fries and burgers um and things like that and then like I come to Portland or just come to Oregon and then like juicing and smoothing and I don't know, all these different, uh, like I didn't know what keto was until like recently. I still don't understand keto, but like, I didn't guess I, I did. I never knew anybody on keto in New York. Uh, okay. I, think, I think again, just like that was the communities are around. Like we just would go, you know, just go, it was just like food. And, but like, there was no, like, uh, at least I didn't know of like, you know, the whole, like, calorie counting and of that it was just very like oh I want I want this and so I'm gonna I'm gonna get it or it was based mm-hmm. on what's what's the money in your wallet so like you know like oh well I only can afford like this or you know that so like that I know personally I've done that like oh well like I want to go out with friends but you know I'm tight on money so I'm only gonna get like an app or you know a bowl of soup um when really you know I want the fettuccine alfredo but that's more money (laughs) so Mm -hmm. I'm gonna settle on the on the bowl of soup um yeah and this I don't know intuitive eating is also just one I just have not or that like phrase again didn't realize it was a thing until like moving moving out here and like moving to Portland. So just thinking like, I'm sure like, I know New York city, like has, you know, the, the juice bars and all those things. Um, and I really think, I really think like your, you know, communities matter. So for me, like, I wasn't really, none of my friends or the people we're spending time with were like into juicing, you know, or things like that. Mm-hmm. You weren't exposed to diet culture. And so without diet culture, there is no need for intuitive eating because intuitive eating is just eating. So you don't need this like phrase for it. It's just you ate based on what you wanted, what was available or what you could afford versus some like external authority telling you what was quote healthy and unhealthy. Yeah. I think that was like a lot of, yeah, it was just eat. I mean, and I have some health issues and so like you know there's certain things that Mm -hmm. I need to limit and things like that but that's just because like I have a chronic health issue so if I eat something that's one of my no-go foods I'm gonna be you know not having a good time (laughs) so it's like the only reason why like avoiding like you know avoiding certain I don't even know if that sounds right but I don't know what the language is like 
staying away from like certain foods is because like it literally makes you sick. Like, mm-hmm. oh, well, I can't have, I'm trying, I don't think I met anybody celiac until I went to college. Really? Until I went to, <laughs> until I was like a junior in college. And I was, and I had like, I mean, I had like no idea. Yeah. I feel like I was the same too. I didn't know what gluten was probably until maybe senior year of high school. That's when I started really getting into diet culture. But like prior to that, I was like, I don't even know what that was. <laughs> like, but yeah, that's wild. Like not even until college. Uh, but it's like, once you are exposed to it, then it's like, oh, there's all these apparently rules out here around food. I thought I just ate what feels good to my body. Like you saying with a chronic health condition and avoiding certain foods, like that's super intuitive. That's not coming from a disordered place at all. That's actually coming from like a really smart place where it's like, I don't want to feel sick. But then when you're exposed to kind of all of these rules, it very much makes eating complicated. Yeah. Yeah. And going back, you were talking about, um, kind of, health eating being seen as like kale juices and all those things which also normally cost like 20 bucks (laughs) like ridiculous amount of money but it's like health there's just such a like sense of superiority around health like you said people looking in other people's carts and feeling like oh I'm better than you because I'm not eating these meals and like I'll be completely honest like when I was in my like very disordered diet culture, bodybuilding days. It was like, I felt a sense of superiority, like, oh, I'm this like ultra healthy eater. And that makes me like awesome or whatever. And it's like now understanding like all the social kind of factors behind that. And also the fact that all of that is BS to begin with, (laughs) but also understanding all these other things. It's like, oh, I can't believe I ever even thought that, but there is just this, like such a sense of superiority around healthy eating. And it's really unfortunate because it does, it adds to shame and stigma to people who aren't able to eat in that way for whatever reason beyond the fact that it's just what is considered healthy eating usually isn't actually healthy but (laughs) that's a whole nother story yeah I mean I do I I think that's true and I think there is like oh well you know I that feeling yeah like well I'm better than you because like I'm working out and I'm a protein shake and all these like kale whatever. And I'm like, and then, yeah, like for me, it's like, well, I don't, I mean, like, I don't go to the gym. My like exercise or really, I just walk because I work from home and I'm inside the same four walls every day. So I just need to like, I'm like, I should go see the sun or like literally Mm -hmm. I just need to go outside. So like, and I, and I, again, I think that word like exercise, I think that means so many different, I think that again, like I think of exercise, think of like, the gym and like you're sweating and, or you're doing one of those like Pilates workout classes, again, expensive. Uh, yeah. So like, again, the, the cheaper option is free is to go walk. And again, just like removing, like removing some of those barriers of like, I mean, cleaning, like I, you bring a like, there's like cleanings exercise, uh, I mean, swiffering my apartment, that is. <laughs> that takes some energy. Yeah. yeah. And I think, so I think that is also part of it. I think, you know, there's that whole diet and exercise, like culture nonsense. And I mean, I think it's a lot of it is like nonsense. Cause like not everybody 
one wants to go to the gym two feels like there's the money and like there's all these barriers with you know going like going to the gym um mm-hmm. and things you know that are not and also like you don't have to and yeah. and I think people do feel like this pressure of again like our society of you know exercise and diet and like doing all these things and I think I think there is like a lot of pressure around that yeah and social yeah. media like doesn't does doesn't always you know doesn't always help <laughs> like yeah. the those like I don't know the content creators the influencers that do like oh like I go to wake up at like 5 a.m and you know I go to the like that's not I don't know anybody that's that's doing that other than I mean you wake up early to go to the gym but (laughs) but at a very different level than I used to do it yeah (laughs) and I don't go every day now but yeah that's so true with like movement can be so many different forms but it's like exercise at the gym is so praised in our culture I even think about like okay when we were growing up we had and obviously we still have them now but professional athletes that was kind of like the peak of like health in fitness and people just like praised professional athletes still happens today but now we have fitness influencers on top of that and it's just like that's seen as what everybody should be striving for when And in reality, it's like these people are literally being paid to work out all day long and to drink those green juices. So of course they have time to do that. Other people are not being paid to do that. We have other jobs. We have things to do. Like we cannot go to the gym all day, every day. And it's just so elitist really to kind of look at that as the only like bar for health or a bar for movement. When in reality, like you're saying, cleaning your apartment is movement, going for a walk is movement, dancing, or, you know, doing something with friends, maybe going on a hike or something. All of that is movement. And it's all a way for you to connect with your body. Yeah. And again, just like thinking about like clinic, cause like a lot of my community health worker experience has been a lot of like clinical studying and navigating the healthcare system. But like, you know, they always ask you that question of like, how many exercise, how much exercise are you getting a week? And like, that's a question and well, you know, it's like, well, what you're again, like I say like, well, you know, I walk for, I tell them like, well, I walk 15 minutes every day. So like, I mean, to me, that's like exercise, but according to this chart or whatever, like is this paperwork thing, like, you know, there's again, like, what are you, the definition around exercise, it doesn't you know, I feel like now it's just becoming more like more inclusive. I'm like, oh yeah, like Mm -hmm. walk 10 minutes or 15 minutes a day. They're like, okay, like, like great. You know? And I just, just think that again, like that's, I don't know, that's like a loaded, that's a whole, I think clinical and the way that, and all the measurements and things, the whole other conversation. But yeah. um, I mean, yeah, that's like that question of like how much do you exercise a week? is a loaded, is a little question, is a big question for like a lot mm-hmm. of people obviously brings up like different feelings and, uh, different reactions. It's, you know, not so this language like, isn't so inclusive. 
Yeah, for sure. It does. It, it, there's, like you said, it brings up a lot of emotions and feelings and kind of past experiences for people. And that's something that health professionals should be sensitive to, but unfortunately many are not. Uh, this kind of goes into our next question. I'm just looking at time. I know we could talk about this for probably ever, um, but into the next question. So in conjunction to healthism, we can also see the negative effects that weight stigma has on individuals as well as larger scale communities. And I talk about this with, uh, her name is Natasha on the diet culture and food episode. There is just this immense pressure to achieve and or maintain what is known as the thin ideal. So how are you seeing this uniquely impact communities of color as well as lower income uh, communities? I mean, yeah, I think it like does impact. I think they do feel the pressure of being a, you know, a certain number on the scale and, you know, those, those kinds of things. I think there is, I think that pressure is something like felt by uh communities of color and I think like for my experience you know having a mom that is Latina like there's there's the genetics and things that I just literally just can't change um as much as you know and I think that also you know impacts it too like there's literally things like about my body that's it is the way it is and that's okay um but you know like certain finding pants is really hard. Like I'm really tall and, um, I don't feel like more, uh, I have like the wider hips. And so like pants or just clothes shopping is a whole, is a whole thing and finding clothes again, that's like inclusive is just really, is really hard. Um, I find in, I'm, I'm finding like buying, buying jeans is like a whole, a whole thing. And so I, you know, just have kind of given up and I only bought, like I buy the, like my jeans from Target and they're a little short on me, but they fit on top, which is, you know, something I feel like I have to like pick and choose, like, do I want the length or do I want the... <laughs> the ones that are going to, you know, I'm going to be able to like pull up. And so I also think about too, like, you know, when you go to the doctor and then like they weigh you or like they ask to weigh you. And like just recently I like opted out and I said, I think I just said like, no, thank you <laughs> to like yeah. the, the person that the, I don't know, the assistant or the nurse or whoever does that, like, oh, we need, you know, like you need to get weighed. And I'm like, no, thank you. And like, they were fine with it. And, you know, it only took me until recently that like, you can like say no to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, you know, didn't know that like you had the option that was like even the thing that to like say no. And I think too, like there is like the, the power dynamic, you know, like of the white doctor, the white doctor, well, my doctor, but the white, you know, you see the white coat, you know, and like, I think uh, for me, like I'm definitely more anxious in healthcare settings, traumas and being a woman of color and not being heard and all the things. And so like, I'm doing what the doctor is telling me to do something like I'm gonna do it because mm-hmm. again like well they're they're the ones that like went to med school they have all this experience mm-hmm. um but again like I don't want to say afraid of saying no just because of like all the past history and and trauma um and so 
yeah, just recently, you know, and they were like, okay, great. And like, I, the doctor like didn't bring it up. Like everything, it was like a smooth appointment. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like I, I, I don't even think like people know that. Like I, I didn't know that. Like, how can I, like, I don't think that's like common knowledge that you can like opt out of saying no, when you, you don't have to, when they tell you to like, oh, we have to weigh you today. Yeah. For so long, nobody knew that they could do that. And I just want to note, like what an empowering experience that must've been for you where it's like, you were probably terrified to say no, because you didn't know what was going to happen. And especially like you mentioning all the like traumas of not being heard in the past. And so I'm so grateful that that was respected and that they were just like, okay, whatever. And now you're like, oh wait, so I can do that and I can be heard and I can like kind of take control of my health. I don't have to just do whatever. I mean, this is not me telling people not to do what doctors say, but oftentimes doctors focus too much on the weight piece and not on the actual things that are going on inside of your body. And it's like, we do need to push back on that and not allow like weight stigma or racism or other forms of oppression, sexism within the medical field to be causing us to go longer and longer and longer without actually getting answers to our health conditions, because people are so fixed on let's say a weight piece or something like that. So I'm so glad that you were able to do that and feel listened to in that, in that space. Yeah. And again, like if my, right, like you get a blood test and my blood test, like my vitamins and iron is all normal and average and like, cool. Like, again, like there are other markers to like, know that you're, you're, you're healthy. And I, that, I don't even that just didn't feel like the right word, but like, there's, you know, things like blood tests, like if all your iron levels and vitamin K's are all fine then like, cool. Like, you know, and if it's not, then like, then you just like, I don't know, take, take like an iron supplement or like, you know, do those mm-hmm. kinds of things. But again, there's like other, there are other ways to in clinical health settings to like, you know, have somebody like be healthy other than just like stepping on the scale and you know, again, doctors are so quick to say like, oh, you just need to like lose weight or like eat healthier. And I'm like, you like don't, again, read the real <laughs> situation, like things that like, you know, in so many things impact that. And I'm like, you should know that you went to med school. So you know how like genetics and like all that, you know, mm-hmm. impact. Yeah, for sure. And it's like, weight is not a health behavior. And there's so many other things that we can address. And then there's the, all the things that are out of our control. Like we were talking about social determinants of health and genetics and stuff like that. And so it's like, yeah, read the room and realize that like weight is not the problem here. And we can kind of focus on some uh, other things that are actually going to improve health or just let the person be healthy. If all of their blood markers say that they're good to go and they're not having any problems, like clearly that person is probably doing pretty well, but yeah, that's, it's so frustrating how that becomes such a big piece. And even, um, the whole idea, and this was something I wanted to mention on the last question that you had mentioned is just the whole idea that healthy eating is really whitewashed that what doctors, when they say, oh, you need to eat healthy, healthier, they're talking about like European cuisine when it's like, okay, healthy foods, quote, healthy foods, nutrition, nutritious foods 
can include so much more than that. And these cultural foods that other, uh, that people are eating are important and they're just equally as healthy. And I think there's just so many problems with the way that the healthcare system addresses food currently. Oh yeah, it definitely has like a, a lot of like white, like lens to it or, you know, mm-hmm. like, yeah, like there is like, you know, like rice, like rice and beans, like that's something so common we ate growing up and I would consider that healthy, like being yeah. like, or have protein and I mean, rice is just good. So like, I think there's, you know, I think, yeah, just just knowing, I guess, like what is indifferent, like, oh, well, if I'm going to, you know, knowing that like, yeah, the nutrition or maybe like what, like, great, like you need protein in your body. Like, so you get that by X, Y, and Z, or you need, like, you need carbs and you, you know, need all these things. And so that, as long as you're getting those things and doesn't matter, like, right. Like how you get them, as long as you're getting, Mm -hmm the iron and all the other things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. There's so many, you know, so many foods that have lots of different nutrition in it. And we need a wide variety of foods in order to be healthy. And yeah, like you're saying, nothing wrong with rice and beans. Rice and beans are great. Um, Awesome. So let's move into the next question. Uh, But as we are, are talking about within this season as a whole, many of the personal problems that individuals are facing are actually a result of public issues. And this is pretty much what you deal with. Um, But more often than not, these public issues are systematic and institutionalized. These issues can occur within the healthcare system, kind of like we've talked about within the government, the economy, the community. With that said, what are some of the larger scale and generational challenges that you have seen within the communities that you're serving? Uh, I mean, yeah, I just think about like chronic, the chronic health disease. And there's a lot of work in Oregon being done with like chronic health disease and prevention. Um, and so, and I, I, and again, like using community health workers, right. Cause like we are the trust, like the people in the community like trust us. And so mm-hmm. I think using community health workers, like in those spaces, you know, to talk about, you know, diabetes management and like those, that's been a big thing I've seen is a lot of conversations around community health workers and things like, uh, diabetes management, doing like blood, like the blood pressure readings, um, and like starting to like bridge like bridge the gap um but again like there's so much more you know kind of behind the curtain of you know the people on a fixed income if you if you get income through disability like that's a fix that's not a lot of money that's like very it's a very fixed income and if you are like oh I want to get a part-time job then if you make too much then you like lose your supplementals that's a big issue so then like people just well I might as well not work or might as well just only work you know 15 hours a week so I don't lose out on my on my benefit especially like now with like inflation um and just like you know cost of being a human this is just getting like more expensive so then you have people that like don't take raises at work or don't take the promotion because like, well, if I get this promotion, then I lose out on my affordable childcare for my kids. And like that you, it's a pick and choose 
a situation which isn't okay. Obviously, like we want people, if you want that promotion or if you want like, you know, that, that job, like, yeah, like go for it. But it's, you know, sad that people, you know, sometimes like miss out on their dreams because of, oh, I really want that job, but I'll lose out my affordable childcare spot at this preschool. And I really need that. And so if people pick and choosing, which isn't, isn't fair. Uh, no, not at all. It's like, we talked about being stuck out of survival and like not laziness. And, uh, it just sucks. That's where it's like, okay, you make a little bit more and you lose everything. And so that little bit more is not enough to live off of, but it's now made you like, like you're explaining there, losing the kind of low income, um, childcare or whatever kind of assistance that people are getting. I know like when I, my business switched from being like barely anything to like, okay, this is a somewhat okay income, but it still wasn't enough to live on is like, I ended up losing so many things that it was like, I was getting for cheaper, like parking. And then I owed like in taxes, like eight grand because I made a thousand dollars above the like tax bracket limit. And it's like, okay, how does like making $1,000 more equal $8,000 in taxes? Like that's ridiculous. And so, yeah, it's really sucks to get stuck in that space where it's like, like you said, you missing out on dreams because you have to make decisions to survive. Yeah. And it's, and then it gets like, suck. it's a, it's like this never ending cycle that you just like, can't really like, you know, get out of like, for me, uh, I mean, I'm in a, an affordable, like attainable housing. So like my rent is based on my income, which is like, great. Uh, and also like, you know, I think about like, well, I'm working from home more now. So maybe I want like a little more space or I want like a balcony and all these things. But like rent in Portland is, you know, like 1500 for like, you know, a one bedroom with like a balcony just so I can like sit outside since I work from home. And so like, again, I'm just better off staying in my, um, in my studio, just because is my rent, like I've been here for two years and it hasn't gone up. So I'm like, well, Mm -hmm. out of survival, if I moved into one of those $1,500 bedrooms, like that's going to be my whole paycheck. And so Mm -hmm. just to have, again, money to like buy groceries and they're getting expensive, like just cost of living has gone up, like Mm -hmm. my, you know, might as well just stay here. And then you also have like, you know, folks that do the like generational housing, like that's such a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like you have your grandma and grandpa and aunts and uncles and like whoever that like live in, in the house. And I, I think there's like, there's also, I don't know, like generational housing or people living together. I don't think is like, as talked about that, like, oh, like if you, you know, if it's one person, it might be like four people living in the house, but the only one person who's going to work, you know, and you're supporting like your whole household again, like that's like, that's a stressor. Yeah. That's expensive to feed that many people and to keep that many people just alive and functioning and living their lives, uh, off of one income. That's like really stressful. Yeah. And that's, you know, like a big, that's like one I've seen, yeah, I've seen a lot is, is when I was doing like all my like direct service work was like, yeah, like, well, I want, you know, I'm it's me and, and I, my grandma lives with me and I, you know, and, 
yeah, my, my grandma's like on this like fixed income. And so it's the right. So my grandma's on this fixed income and can't afford to live anywhere else. So like they move in with me because they're on this, you know, fixed income and they can't afford to live, you know, and yeah, it's just like, the, it's just like really obviously bigger conversations. It's like a lot of like things with like, you know, government and things like how they all funnel down. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, this whole question is phrased around. It's those larger scale issues that are kind of keeping people stuck, um, you know, making it so people aren't able to really pursue health, whatever we want to consider that as. Um, But it's like a much bigger picture than somebody just not eating their vegetables or not going to the gym, because it's like at the end of the day, our health is about so much more than that is what you're explaining here. Yeah, it is. It's yeah, a lot bigger than, you know, just eating vegetables and going to the gym. Yeah. Yeah. So with that all in mind, how have you seen and experienced the impact of these challenges on the ways in which individuals relate to food in their bodies? I think, you know, this reading, like a lot of reading in the room situations if we're like, oh, just like go for a walk. I'm like that's not easy for everybody. Like again, uh, safety a sidewalk or like you're not maybe like so you're not walking in the middle of the road you know I think there's a lot of those like components um that like or you know and there are like people with like accessibility needs and so again like this whole oh just like going for a walk like that's not not easy for everybody. Um, and I think one that I've, uh, experienced and like, I've also like seen through different communities is like just food and alcohol, just hoping and comfort and think about in 2020 when like, you know, I got laid off or I don't even know if I got like, I don't know, whenever like the world shut down, it's like, well, I guess I'm like laid off. But also like, it was tricky. Cause it was like, well, typically I'm on standby. Cause I could go back to work at any time. Like for working in like childcare. Um, and so with all these transitions and things like, well, what do you, what did I do? Like Uber eats and uh, I mean, drink, there is nothing else, you know, you, like, and this was, you know, we were, it was so new and it was, we, we didn't know like how, you know, and so I was just well, home and yeah, it was like, you know, and then I'm like, oh, well, I'm getting Uber Eats only from like local restaurants. I'm like su- I'm supporting local businesses is how I like, you know, justified it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, food and alcohol definitely became like a comfort and like coping skill like early on in COVID because nobody like knew what was we like, I didn't, I was like, I was the person I was wiping down groceries. I was like, am I going to get COVID from wiping down my like, I don't know. I did that whole thing, like wiping down the groceries, but, um, I think that's a big, a big thing is, and I think it's like, you know, it's okay. Like that's, you know, self-care is having a glass of wine, you know, with your partner, like on a Friday night, like date night. I think that's great. If, you know, food is, you know, and I think around food and that, like, there's so much community, right? Like there's a lot of community centered around, um, food, um, and so thinking about that, like, well, seeing my friends, like girls and I was like, yeah, we like go, we'll go out or go get a meal together. Um, 
and again, like, I think that is like a form of self-care. Um, but yeah, like it all, I don't know, I guess the, like the life-giving like is comes up because obviously when I was drinking a lot in COVID, that wasn't life-giving, uh, to be drinking every weekend when I was stuck in the house. Um, (laughs) yeah, like it got to the point where like, okay, like this is not, not life-giving. Yeah. Yeah. So things like food and alcohol, they can become a source of comfort and coping and that can be beneficial or not so beneficial. So beneficial, like you're describing with like food being a form of self-care and going out with the girls and doing all of these things. And it's like, food is comforting. And then there's also, you know, the, the limit to that, where it's like, okay, is this harming you in terms of like the alcohol and all of that, those types of things, but it's like food and alcohol. It is natural for us to turn to something for comfort during times of stress. And so people who are experiencing higher amounts of stress, like everyone was at the beginning of 2020 makes complete sense that you would turn to something like food and or alcohol. And I think what you were talking about going for a walk, not being that easy is super important Um, because it's like, okay, we were talking about like all the different forms of movement and that going for a walk is the free form. But then for some people, that's not even possible. Like you were pointing out, like what's the infrastructure of the neighborhood? Is there a sidewalk? Is it a safe place for someone to go walk? Do they feel safe? I shared a meme. I'm not sure if you saw it yesterday, um, but about like, stop yelling at people on the internet and go look at trees. And then I added, I was like, oh, like being outside, if you feel safe, like I felt like I need to add that reduces stress because if you don't feel safe, that's going to increase stress. Um, but that's a huge piece that you mentioned. Yeah. I mean, obviously that's, I think I feel like people don't, especially like in Portland with like all the trails and like, Oh, just like go hike in forest park. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I mean, I would love, I like would love that idea. You know, again, I don't have a car. So like it's, the transit option, again, the whole safety piece of like, just feeling, Mm -hmm. do I even feel safe? Like walking on a trail, like, you know, by Mm -hmm. myself. Um, and so I think, yeah, I think there's a lot of, and if it's not safe, right. Then your anxiety and stressed. And then that's, you know, not, not good. Like it can Mm -hmm. sometimes do more harm than good. And I I feel Mm -hmm. like, like realize that, like, going for a walk can be like stressful for some people. And so that might not be the best, Mm -hmm. you know, thing for them. Maybe it is cleaning their apartment or, you know, doing stretching or, you know, something indoors. Yeah. It can look different for basically for a lot of different people. And it doesn't have to be the same for any two people. What, what you do to relieve stress could look completely different than for what I do to relieve stress. Um, but also at the end of the day, addressing these like larger scale institutional problems is super important if we actually want to improve people's health. Totally. Yeah. Um, so That leads into our last question. So obviously these are large scale issues. And so I'm not asking you to have the answer to end food insecurity or poverty or systems of discrimination and oppression all in like two minutes. Um, However, I do like to end the episode with some sort of practical actions or tangible advice for the listeners. So from from your experience, what are some of the major takeaways and action steps that those 
those who are listening can take in their own lives. Just, I mean, minding your business. <laughs> I don't know, like mind your business with the grocery store. Yeah. Like you don't look in other people's carts, like don't have those, like, you know, those thoughts to yourself of like, oh, well, of like judgment, like really just mind your business. Like you don't, mm-hmm. you don't know them. You don't know like their story and their like full picture. Um, and it's also none of your business of what they're putting like mm-hmm. in the cart. So like, you know, you don't, you don't need to be looking at their business like that. Like, and I also think, um, like, I think doing like reading and research and like, I don't know, like here in Portland, I just think about like the libraries have like a whole collection on Oregon's history. And um, so like just acknowledging the history um, and understanding that, cause like that's obviously the past impacts the present. And so mm-hmm. just like knowing that, like so like what some of the laws were like in Portland to give you like a, like the full picture of like, wow, like, and this was like recently like that, like, it's not like it was that like long ago either, which is also like, you know, somewhat like mind blowing that. Yeah. Like a lot of those, you know, laws about who can buy a house and where you can buy a house it was like, re- like recently. And so I think doing some of those things, um, and also remember like in COVID when, the world shut down and everybody had like supporting black businesses in Portland and there was all these lists. And so, I mean, that was like a trend. And so I think like going back to that, I think like spending your dollars, you know, at different like black owned business, like businesses that are owned by, you know, all sorts of like communities of color. So whether that's, you know, a restaurant or like, you know, does anything those like small things matter? Like where you're investing, you know, like your dollars, um, like kind of the whole, if you're going to talk the talk, you should, I don't know, walk, whatever that saying is. Um, Mm -hmm. and then, I mean, I'm always a big, like voting person, I think like registering to vote. Um, but also like when you are, when you're looking at like, the bill or whatever is like being proposed in the pamphlet or like really just like understanding and acknowledging that like whatever bills they pass like oh like well this isn't gonna affect me so I'm like whatever on this issue like it might not affect you but it affects people like me and it affects you know if I decide to have kids then it will like affect my kids and you know those a lot of families and I think I think there's like a lot of, you know, all about me in our society. And so I think taking yourself out of it and just like, you know, having that moment of like, okay, like, oh, like this does it just being more mindful and just being more conscious of like where you're, where you're putting your money, like where you're voting and just, I think those just understand that like, yeah, it's not all about, <laughs> it's not all about you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think like in our culture, that's so, it is very like a centric and just saying that like, there is a bigger zooming out, like there's a bigger picture of what's, of what's happening. And I think, especially now with all the, with all the things that are happening in our country, like I think like mm-hmm. voting and 
doing those things of like writing, writing to like people in office, like that like all matters, like definitely like there is power in numbers. And so I think like doing some of like doing those action steps. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So basically what you're saying is doing the work and keep doing the work. Don't get caught up in these trends and recognize that this is like a lifelong journey of awareness and stepping outside of yourself. Like you said, it's not all about you and thinking of like other people and how it's impacting other people's lives, the way that you're spending money, the way that you're voting, the way that you're just interacting in the world. Like it doesn't happen in a bubble. Like it does not happen in a bubble or a vacuum. Like what the decisions we make impact other people. Totally. And like, yeah, it all, it's all like, we're all, it's all connected. And yeah, I think Mm -hmm. just having that moment of, and just knowing that it's, it is a journey and like, it's not gonna happen overnight and giving yourself the self-compassion and grace that like, we're all humans like no one's mm-hmm. no one's perfect and that's okay like no one's asking like I'm not asking for like perfection like I know mm-hmm. that's not gonna happen um but just do like doing and just going along on the journey I think is like what mm-hmm. is really like important and also just yeah giving yourself some wiggle room that like you're not gonna get it overnight and like no one's you know, no one's like, oh, you have to have it figured out by tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. As long as you're along for the ride and that's okay. Yeah, for sure. That is, I think a really great note to end on. So like, I think we've talked for an hour and a half now, (laughs) which we could talk forever. I feel like both of us on this topic. Um, but thank you so much, Priscilla. This episode has been so informative and helpful. And I really hope that it just opens some people's eyes to kind of those larger scale issues that are going on within communities and within our country and our world. Um, I do have one last quick question, but you have been on the show before, so I'm going to change it a little bit since you already answered my favorite food question. So my question for you is what is your favorite dessert that's a good question uh right now i've been really into popsicles maybe because it's like summer so i got these nice. like strawberry shortcake popsicles uh so yeah i think yeah i think it depends on the season. like it's like summer more popsicles and then like i feel like in the winter i'm more like into like the warm gooey like mm. uh think about like those brownie and a mug things oh uh, yeah <laughs> like those kinds of desserts um uh, yeah I think that's so good of, yeah that's awesome you're gonna need those popsicles next week it's gonna be in the hundreds so <laughs> Well, we'll have to figure out what we're doing for community next week. Might not want to be outside, (laughs) but yeah, again, thank you so much, Priscilla. And thank you to the listeners. I hope you all have a great day and we will catch you on the next episode.